I've been thinking about Morse code, talking about Morse code for more than two years, and now I'm finally doing it, and it feels great. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of November 21st, 2013. We've decided that part of what we would like to focus on in these podcasts is being resilient, and we've come to believe that you're use of ham radio and now specifically Morse code um, can make us more resilient and I'm hoping that you'll explain to everybody how that is and how the Morse code is, is um, yeah, kind of taking yourself you, Luke. taking you up a notch in the resilience factor absolutely um, I became a ham radio operator a little more than two years ago knowing as we did then and as we still know today that we are awfully awfully dependent on one cell tower very close to our farm. And if something were to happen to that cell tower, all of a sudden we are um, in trouble com with communication. Now we are taking one step on to free ourselves from that this week that has nothing to do with today's podcast, and that is we are arranging to have our Internet uh, sent to us over satellite rather than cell phone. And that means that even if we lose the cell phone tower, yes, we would lose our Verizon cell phone service, but we would still have Internet. And vice versa, if we were to lose the satellite connection, we would still be able to make a telephone call. So that feels good. That's that's the right direction to move in. And, and can I comment on that just for a minute? It's We're not doing that, making that change simply for resilience. Partly, our service is a little bit, patchy our internet is it's not the best connection in the world and the data package is not um financially really expensive yes <laughs> it's not a financially good investment so we'll go from there okay so back to ham radio i did this about two years ago and at the time decided to buy only a two meter radio and i know that sounds jargony but basically a two meter radio is not designed to transmit for long distances. It works best in a local setting where you're either talking to another person very close by or you are talking to a repeater and then the repeater sends the signal and that's in fact what I've been doing most of the time is using a repeater and it's worked okay but that doesn't feel very resilient. How far out could you communicate? With a two-meter radio to another two-meter radio with my antenna, not much more than 10 or 15 miles. Yeah. So if we were trying to get in touch with our children in California following a natural disaster or something like that, wouldn't Not a prayer. It. Yeah. And frankly, didn't use it that much. Uh, one of the things that holds me back from ham radio is that a lot of the people who are using ham radio, mostly men, there are relatively few women who are, are active in amateur radio, but most of them are doing it as a hobby. They love to experiment with limits in terms of how many people they can make contact with and how low their power can go and so forth. 
And to me, I, I, I have plenty of hobbies. I'm all into Episcopal yeah. liturgy. I don't need another hobby. Right. Um, so I'm looking for ways to have reliable communication with the outside world. And I just there was a little bit of a disconnect there, so I basically didn't do that much with it. We did talk some about your possibly becoming licensed as a ham radio operator. And, you know, I'd really like to pursue that at some point in the future, but I've simply been too busy with other obligations and responsibilities, so it's on the back burner for now. Sorry. Yeah, the reason that we thought it made sense for you to consider it is because of the capability of talking internationally. And, and someday I'd really like to do that. Um, it, it's, it is something that I would enjoy. I probably wouldn't, having heard the way the radio sounds as I pass by, and you can describe what that's all about more, <laughs> I, it doesn't interest me to do that on an everyday basis. Although every time there's a weather emergency, which unfortunately is more and more often these days, I do hear over here, as you said, men talking to each other about um, the way, you know, whether they've seen a tornado or what's, you know, do we have a warning or is the bridge out or what, you know, it, I think that's helpful. That's called Skywarn, and I am an active participant in the Skywarn system, so, uh, and that's one of the things that's been important to us. So I told you we started out in two meters and didn't really do much with it. Now our friend Tom Bray has sold me his HF radio, high frequency, as opposed to UHF, which is what two meters is. And his HF radio really opens up a whole new world. There's a lot more going out, going on out there in amateur radio than was accessible to me when I had a two-meter rig. And as a result of using the HF radio to get more into the process of communicating with people, I've also used my two-meter more. Really, I'm using. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm making more use of it, so it's it's been a great purchase for us to get into all of this. And then we have our friend James Estes, who lives in Auburn. James and I talk on a regular basis, and he loves using Morse code. What the hams call it is CW. CW stands for continuous wave. Can't tell you why it does why they use that term, but Morse code and CW mean the same thing. Was there ever a time that that was the only way to communicate sure. via on on the ham radio sure. system? Okay. Well, I mean, there was a time when that was the only way to communicate. Period. Well, yes, that much I know. But I mean, I, when there, the radio began, was it voice from the beginning, or was it originally just CW? I guess I'm still stuck with. Oh, you're saying for ham for radio? For ham radio, I don't know. That's a great question. I, I don't know the answer to that. Well, okay. Just wondering. Um, so James's love for Morse code, he has reminded me repeatedly of how he uses it and enjoys it and so forth. And that got me thinking, okay, if I'm serious about resilience, then I've got to be thinking about Morse code. I had started thinking about it back when we first got into all of this, back more than two years ago. But it is a little daunting to think of learning all those dits and da's and da-dit and da-da-da and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I, I basically put it on the shelf and quit thinking about it. 
until James started talking with me about how much he loves using CW. There are some digital modes that will that have the same punch, and I, I'm I'm not doing a good job of explaining this. The reason that CW works better for resilience is because it travels a lot farther, and the reason it travels a lot farther is that instead of transmitting energy across a wide spectrum of the human voice, you're transmitting that energy on a very narrow beam. And you can focus the power on that narrow beam and go much farther. And at the receiving end, you can, you can listen to Morse code and pick it out even in the presence of a great deal of interference. So it, it tends to work better over long distances than voice only works. So that's why I've known all along that CW made sense. Now, back to the, these digital modes. There are some modes where your computer translates information into hash, very defined hash, and sends that hash and then it can be received at the other end and decoded. That You can do that with very low power and really punch through. The difficulty is that that depends on computers and software and power grid. You know, you got to have everything working just right for the digital mode to work. And the whole idea of becoming resilient is to be able to do things when all is not ideal. So in my mind, the the CW, the Morse code, is the, the right way to go about it. Yes, and, and you've taken to learning Morse code. I have. At, I, your, at this stage of your life. Yeah, I have a 60-year-old man trying to learn basically what is a whole new language. Right. Um, it's supposed to keep me young, right? Oh, yes. Well, learning new languages is supposed to help sort of reroute the brain, you know, synapses and or something like that so that so that we stay mentally agile. And hopefully it's having that effect. I, I hope so. Now, our friend James uses what's called a straight key. So when you think of sending Morse code, you probably picture the same image I had, which is uh, the little man sitting at a telegraph desk tapping with his index finger on a key and it's little dits and little da's and so forth um the the way i well the the difficulty you have when you send a code for a long time using a straight key is carpal tunnel syndrome or things similar to carpal tunnel syndrome set in and our friend James, in fact, has to be careful how long he transmits because after a while, his wrist really starts bothering and him. And you know what's interesting when you think about it is I bet some of the original telegraph operators may well have gotten carpal tunnel, but they just didn't know to call it that Didn't at call the time. it that. All they knew is that their arm hurt. And um, so I decided from the very beginning to uh, use what's called an iambic paddle where you are not really tapping a key up and down. You have two little levers that run side to side, and 
they are designed so if you hold down, if you tap on the left-hand side, you get a dot. And if you tap on the right-hand side, you get a dash. And if you hold down the left-hand side, you get repeated dots. And if you hold down the right-hand side, you get repeated dashes. And if you squeeze them together, you get da-da-da-da-da-da or da-da-da-da-da. So it, it's a way of limiting. It, you can send a great deal more information and limit the times you have to move your fingers around. And what I see you motioning, it looks as though you're using your thumb more than you would have used. Before. Absolutely. You so. use your thumb for one side and your index finger for the other. So. The thumb was on, uh, in my case, I'm, I'm right-handed, so my thumb is on the left-hand side and my index finger is on the right-hand side. And then um, that's all I do. And it's a, if you watch me sending code, that the hands are moving very, almost imperceptibly. And so do you think it's easier since you're learning your, your very first experience with transmitting CW is with that iambic paddle that'll be, that would be easier than someone learning on that original type key and then switching? I, I sure do. And <laughs> the old hands who have done this for years tend to be almost unanimous in saying you need to learn on a straight key then convert from that to some other means that's easier on your hand. And from the very beginning, when I saw those explanations, I kept asking, why? Why would that make sense? And I still don't know why they say that other than, well, by golly, I had to learn on a straight key, so you should too. Yeah, maybe it is something like that. Um, I just decided I didn't want to learn how to do this and then have to unlearn and relearn a whole new motor skill or whole new muscle memory um, by when I changed over to what I knew I would eventually be using, which is the yeah. paddle. So that makes I just a lot decided of to get started with the paddle, and it seems to be working fairly well. Um, you mentioned walking by and hearing the old men talk to each other. Well, I didn't and, say they were old. Well, I just you said did they not were men. say they are old, but I will say it's a bunch of old men. That's <laughs> that's those are the people who are talking on amateur radio by and large. Um, I opted to put the equipment not here in our little home where we live, but in the shop. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. It, it, we knew that if we put it here in the in our home, it would be disturbing and, frankly, irritating to you. Well, and especially since you tend to leave it on all the time, and so I'll hear these disembodied voices off in the <laughs> distance, you know, at various times of the day and night, so that, no, I, I don't think I'd want to have it in my room, in my... Yeah, where you're living, where, where you're trying to read, where you're trying yeah. to sleep. Or have a conversation with someone on the phone or yes. anything, yeah. Um, and that, you know, that that's very accessible to us. Either of us can go into the shop fairly easily. We don't have to pay to keep the area heated and cooled. All of this radio equipment is fine um, in, within the normal temperature ranges that uh, where it is. So I, I don't think that'll be any problem with that. And when I want to use it, I go in there. Um, and I thought I would finish up the podcast just by giving you a quick demonstration of what I'm doing with the key so you have a feel for how this works. Okay, I think that'd be helpful. Understand now that I am a rank beginner, so this code is going to be very slow, but it's what I can do at my 
beginning stage. I'm going to start by giving you my call sign. That call sign is AK4IF, and I'm going to tell you each letter as I send it. A K 4 I F AK4IF. And now I'm going to spell out Longleaf Breeze. We start with the letter L. O N G L E A F. And now we have a pause for a new word. And we're going to start with the letter B for breeze. R. E. Another E. Z. And a final E. Longleaf breeze. And now I'm going to let you hear a little bit of code from someone, and I can't tell you who it is. Someone who is sending code much, much faster than I, and it gives you a feel for how fast this happens when an experienced operator is, is sending and another experienced operator is receiving it. Wow. Well, thank you for letting us hear what that sounds like, both when someone is learning Morse code and it's going relatively slowly, and also when you have someone who's been doing it a while, obviously, and <laughs> is proficient and is, as we are fading out here, um, sending us a message in some pretty rapid-fire CW. Thanks so much. And thank you for being with us this week, and we hope you'll uh, tune in to us again next week. Have a good one. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.